When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, folks, and welcome to the A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. I am Charlie Burris, here with my co-host and A to Z Sports Tennessee writer, Zach Reagan, wherever you listen throughout the world. We thank you so much for listening to us. Zach and I are talking everything balls every week here on the Big Orange Podcast, and if that sounds good to you, make sure that you go over and subscribe to the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed on iTunes and Spotify. All of our episodes drop there every Monday morning. Make sure that you don't miss a thing. So subscribe, rate, review, etc. at the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed. Then on social media, I'm at Charlie underscore Burris, at Zach TNT, at A to Z Sports on Twitter and Instagram. Then Facebook.com slash A to Z Sports Nashville and A to Z Sports Nashville.com for everything Zach writes. And the podcast is presented by TennesseeTickets.com. As always, it's the place you should trust with any of your ticket purchases, balls, home and away games, concerts at your favorite venues, and all with zero hidden fees at checkout, unlike the other sites. And you can save $10 off every ticket purchase with promo code AZ10AZ10. That's TennesseeTickets.com. And we're going to talk about on this show if you can buy tickets to Tennessee football games. We'll get there, but first... Zach, sports are back, officially. We had this weekend, you had MLB baseball, you had the NHL, you had the NBA, you had NASCAR, you had golf. Sports is back in as what, I guess, as much as it can be considered full swing. Um, and sports are officially back for me personally uh, because uh, the, the Predators played today. I'm a huge Predators fan. They're in the playoffs against the Coyotes and they lost, and uh, it sucked. And then right after that, the Grizzlies played. They're also in whatever kind of weird playoff-ish format that they're in right now. They're sort of in play-in games. Um, and they lost, too, to the San Antonio Spurs. So it felt very familiar. You know, Tennessee sports, they like to, uh, you know, crush you, kick you in the gut. And we're, we're right back on it, man. Uh, have you been watching uh, much of these sports? Oh, yeah. Dialed in the NBA and... Obviously, I'm a huge baseball fan, and my Mets have been pretty terrible. Lost five in a row, so business as usual. It's like they never left. Um, I'm ready for them to go ahead and cancel the season. I'm out on it. So um, I think I'm going to be all in on NBA now. Some pretty interesting stuff for the the Mets today, right? Giannis Cespedes <laughs> just up and didn't show up for the game. Uh, and, and reportedly, he – am I wrong on this? He had just – left his hotel room, just been like, peace. And he said, I'm opting out of the season. I'm gone. Deuces. And I think it's because the Mets suck. Yeah, I think that would be a good reason, but he's given up a lot of money to do that. Um, oh, okay, so maybe I not. Maybe did see not. The Athletic said that he had a family member that had a pre-existing condition, and he had some concerns, but 
I mean, not a lot has changed in the last week. I mean, I know you've had some positive tests, but that was always going to be a possibility. Um, Yeah, it is very bizarre. But if you follow the Mets, it's very on brand for them. Yeah, things things are uh, usually it's it's not always a smooth sailing for the Mets. (laughs) There, I guess it's some normalcy though. Yeah, uh, it it does. It feels good to be back, even even if we're losing and and players are just walking off the team for the Mets. It does feel good to actually have sports back. Now, it was interesting and concerning uh, at the same time this week. uh, I think we had discussed on on podcasts, maybe the last podcast or the one before that, where the MLB was coming back and we had kind of said, we're ready to see what happens in season when there are COVID cases. And we just kind of wanted to see how that was going to play out. Well, I will say the MLB didn't exactly handle it in like, <laughs> well, I, I guess it depends on how you look at it, whether they handled it well or not. But games got canceled and it's been kind of a cluster. Uh, and so it's, I, I, I don't really know exactly how I feel about it. I don't know that there's necessarily a way around it with the way they're treating it. If you're, um, they're not keeping these players in a bubble. I mean, here are the facts. They're not keeping the players in a bubble, and they're testing the players a lot. You're going to find cases. Yeah, it was always going to be the case. We knew we, they were going to have cases, and they had cases before they actually started the season, but with the Marlins specifically, it was like a big outbreak, and it's what over half their team has tested positive, and that's kind of how do you handle that? You can kind of manage one player. It doesn't really spread to any other players. They do the contact tracing. But with the Marlins, I think 18 players have tested positive. Um, how do you, I mean, I know it's the Marlins. There's all kinds of jokes there. But how do you how do you field a team when half your major league roster can't play? It's tough. And I, I don't think that there's really a, a right answer. It's a very weird no. situation, too, with the nature of this illness. Because there, there is so much consideration of this asymptomatic spread where people don't know they have it, but they're still giving it to other people. And so, like, uh, an example from my own personal life that makes this so tr- so tricky and, and weird, and, and it, it makes you initially kind of want to say, like, let's just not test, and then you won't know about it. So this, except I, I don't think that's, that's not really a realistic possibility, and I don't think it's a good idea probably either. Um... But so like I have a family member who works at a company um, without getting into any specifics that has had a pretty sizable outbreak, um, 15 or so people at this company. And this is a family member of mine. I know like it's a firsthand account that I've heard about this and or for, well, firsthand, I guess, <laughs> secondhand from one of my family members. But, uh, you know, they're close to me and. He said that they had these 15 some odd people that got it, but only three of those people actually had like a sickness. None of them were hospitalized. Thank goodness they're all okay and they're good to go. But only like three of those 15 actually presented with like a cough and a fever and like actually felt bad. And the rest generally, it was kind of like, I never would have known it. And so you think about that and you're like, well, 15 people at this company had it. But if they didn't test and figure this out, the only thing that would have ever happened at that company is three people got a cold and flu. 
and so it's kind of this weird it's where i i kind of go like all these guys are young and in good shape and i just think that like if we ignored it you'd never know (laughs) probably but at the same time when i say i don't think that's a a good idea ultimately because some of these managers are older. Some of these managers are not in good shape. Some of these coaches, some of these executives, some of the guys that these players are around, maybe these players have family that live with them that aren't in great shape. So I don't think that would be the right strategy, but I do. I initially go, I'm like, man, if we just, you know, like none of these guys are even getting seriously sick at all. Like it's, you know, it's yeah, like, that's it it's a, it's a crap situation. That's yeah. my entire point It's just, it's a crap situation. Yeah, you're right. I mean, these baseball players, basketball players, even if they got sick, in most cases, they would be trying to play through it. A lot of them would play through it. And during the course of a season, even in the summer, I mean, you see a lot of players sideline, scratched from the lineup, flu-like symptoms. I mean, you see that all the time. Yeah, it happens. And that's all this would be probably at at the worst. But like you said, the older managers, team staff, family members i think that's the concern i don't know i mean it feels like there has to be a happy medium if you want sports if you want life in general to continue you have to find a balance there where it's like okay we we put these protocols in where the manager is not close to the team i don't know how that works or if it's feasible but that's really the only way otherwise yeah these positive tests like you said you're testing they're going to keep popping up. Uh, and then once you do the football season, they're really going to be popping up because you got a lot yeah, exactly. more people in a small space. And that's kind of where I was leading with all that is like the the way that this is un, unfolded with the MLB, it horrifies me for football because we've already talked about it at length on this show. I mean, college kids, you have to think the infection rate among those those kids is just going to end up being even higher than these baseball players because they're they're college kids that's the that's the way that college kids are like college is you are stuffed into a classroom all day together then at night you party together then and you know i'm sure some of that is going to be mitigated or or not it won't happen at all i'm sure there will there'll probably be some amount of consequences for these players if they do things like that like they'll probably you know, get in trouble for doing things. But how uh, much can you, how much can you punish a college kid that isn't being exactly. paid? I, I don't know. I, and that's, what's going to make it such a tough situation because it goes, if we have positive cases, positive cases are going to shut things down. Um, I, I think you're going to end up running into possibly a couple of scenarios where either you know, programs aren't going to test and they're going to be like, you know, closed ears, closed eyes. Let's not think about it. Although I, I think most of these leagues are going to mandate it and then they might not have a choice in that lane. And then possibly you're going to get the hiding of cases where they go. Okay. Our quarterback has coronavirus, but he's totally fine. Uh, and we're playing Auburn next week and we're sure as hell not sitting our quarterback against Auburn. You know, I, I hope that doesn't happen. I hope teams are honest. But man, it's I think it's gonna get messy and I I'm mm, I don't know. Well, they could, bought themselves a little bit of time by not starting the season until September twenty sixth. True. Um, it gives you what, four weeks of kids on campus to kind of work things out there and and see what 
kind of impact kids returning to campus will have and, and how many positive tests you have popping up, which I think has the potential to be very disastrous and alter the whole course of the season right off the bat. Do you think that, like my assumption has been that college kids will, I'm sure there's going to be a set of college kids that are like, scared and they're not going to do any of that stuff oh, yeah. or not, not even scared they're just being like pragmatic and being like i, I don't want, i don't want to go to a party whatever but you even saw uh i think it was at usc like southern cal they had like 40 guys at one fraternity at southern cal that like all got it and it was like clearly they were just partying together they were yeah. just there hanging out they i didn't know if the, i i didn't completely read into it but i don't know if they were all living in the frat house or what was happening there but like, how how do college kids even feel about this? Are they gonna party? Is it just gonna be a, a free for all like everyone is fearing? I really wonder. And obviously, that's I say that to say I think it probably is a good idea to delay the season maybe three ish weeks like they are, and just say let's uh, let's see what happens. <laughs> let's just see you know initially where this goes i it it immediately strikes me as yeah that's that's probably a reasonable decision no yeah i i think you'll have a group of college kids college football players that carry on as normal they want to party they don't take it serious and i think you'll have a group that is very strict about following the protocols not wanting to put their season in jeopardy i think that's kind of like the population in general, or even we've seen it with bringing up the Marlins again, where half the team went out and kind of partied in Atlanta, I believe. And that's how they got it and spread it. They didn't take it serious. And suddenly their whole season's in jeopardy. I think we'll just see a, a mixture of both. It seems, seems unavoidable, but I, I, I just wonder exactly. Yeah. What you've already said, like what can be done? with these players how realistically unless you put like a location tracker on these kids which is no you will not see me supporting that i think saban will try that but probably but i mean that's that's a a gross violation of privacy and just a whole it's a whole can of worms i don't want to see open but um and, and already you saw tennessee is using fitness trackers i don't think they're location trackers at least in the sense that it's like sending the location back to the coaches. Maybe it is. <laughs> Maybe it is, and I don't know it. I, I don't wear one of those whoop bands. But uh, that's if, if you didn't read the story, Tennessee and the entire staff, I believe, are all wearing these whoop bands because they're, they have shown to be pretty useful where they can give you a baseline of all your metrics, your, your breathing rate, your heart rate, all, all of these things. And even if you have extremely mild COVID, it can kind of detect it and be like, oh, your breathing rate went up. But the heart rate goes up like kind of in advance, I believe, right? Mm -hmm. Because so there was a uh, there was a PGA Tour player who and this was just the the biggest example that I've seen of this working. There's PGA Tour player Nick Watney uh, was playing in a tournament and he noticed that his his breathing rate while he slept had like doubled. And he was like, "Eh, that's kind of odd. I feel fine. But that's weird. And he went to the to the doctor and was like, just test me again, just in case. I just want to make sure he ended up having it. And so I it can be really sensitive and really useful on top of just being a good tracker for like the health of these guys and making sure they're conditioned and you know doing doing what they're supposed to do. 
you know, kind of that should help. As an aside here, I wonder if you were kind of monitored that way all the time, how many things you would catch in advance, just in general, just everyday yeah. things that we've dealt with throughout the years. What well, I said with all this, like there have to be other illnesses that just present with essentially nothing. Like you, you caught the virus and your body just goes, nope, we're dealing with it and it's done. Like a lot of these coronavirus yeah, that's a lot cases. Of flu ca- a lot of flu cases are like yeah. that, are asymptomatic and you carry it and then give it to somebody. It's not, a, it's not unique to the coronavirus. It is a common thing. Yeah. And, and, and of course, on, on top of that, culturally in America, it's always been, even if you're sick, you go to work and. I, oh yeah, yeah. You can't I think that's for, it's kind of like going to work if you're sick. Going to work if you're sick is a badge of honor. It's like, yeah, I fought through it. I worked through it. Yeah. Now, I mean, that's not going to fly anymore. No. I, at, least, at least for the foreseeable future. Um, but I, it's it's just a it's going to be such a weird situation. And I guess all of this conversation leads up to the latest news, which I don't think we've even <laughs> we've even mentioned yet up to this point. Now, 20 years, minutes in or whatever. <laughs> Burying the lead here. Uh, yeah, we that was a lot of roundabout conversation to get to the fact that the SEC announced that they will be playing a 10 game conference only schedule, cutting out all all non-conference games um, because I the, the thought behind it is that each league has their own safety standards and they can make sure that all the teams in that league follow the safety standards where if you play an out of conference game, you can't ensure that safety standards are being followed. Yada, yada. It makes sense. I guess. And it reduces travel a little too, for some teams, for some teams. <laughs> yes. Other I mean, teams. like Missouri going to Knoxville is still quite a haul. Yeah. Or, or like, I mean, ones that I've thought are just comical where they're like, for for safety, obviously the ACC and the SEC are going to be super careful. Well, Everybody anyone... knows that the, the product is, is just makes so much money that they're going to protect the product at all costs. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, be... and the ACC was like, we have to cut out non-conference games, including like South Carolina Clemson. But Florida State and can travel to Syracuse or to Syracuse. something. Yeah. Or, or Boston College. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like... Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Sure. It's it's all about. It's only really, about for the SEC. I mean, I think it's. I, I kind of. I wrote about that this week. I mean, I think this ten game schedule will have a big impact on future schedules because uh, David Ubin from the Athletic, you know, put it put put it out there in words. Something a thought that I'd had but never really verbalized. I guess is that you get so geared up for college football every single late August, early September, you're so ready for college football. And then you get two weeks of Tennessee and Furman playing or Alabama and, and, you know, UAB or whoever, you know, you get these just fluff games that are over by halftime and you might get like one kind of marquee matchup those early weeks where with this 10 game schedule, I mean, it's like the NFL every single week. I mean, it's a intense matchup. So I think the repercussions are, of this are going to be end up being pretty massive just from what we've seen of the fallout of just this announcement and everything that's kind of come from it. There's a lot of speculation about exactly how the schedules are going to shake out. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But I agree with you. I think they're at a baseline. There's going to be an insatiable want from fans and probably administrators, too, who want to make more money. Yeah. How, well, how um, do you go back? Exactly. 
I, I think at, at a baseline, they're going to say we have to play nine conference games from here. Yeah, I agree. It's nine conference games for yeah. the SEC. Um, I think that's that's almost going to be a given. And then beyond that, I, I think there's going to be uh, a lot of just... I don't know if it'll be this extreme, but I think this might be the beginning of the end of the NCAA. Like the NCAA as a governing body. Because I think what is it's essentially going to show everybody is that none of these leagues need the NCAA at right. all. <laughs> Not even a little bit do they need the NCAA. And the NCAA just kind of hawks over them, gives them these arbitrary nonsense rules. When actually the Power Five leagues and all of the, you know the heads of the leagues and the coaches and everything could just come together and make their own decisions yeah. and just cut out the NCAA. Well, the only like the only downside there is the group of five. And it exactly. would destroy them. Yes. And so maybe it becomes the NCAA, which is the group of five, and then the Power Five. And the Power Five is its own thing. I don't know. But I, mean, I think I feel there's like going you to get be... in a situation where the group of five almost has to be subsidized in some sort of way because they cannot, fun- you know, they just can't survive on their own. And yeah, that is the one thing that I'm like, I, feel, I wish kind of the Power Five would go all Power Five games, like, and you didn't get these games that you just these these pay games because they're just pointless. I mean, you're just paying a team to come, with the exception of Georgia State last year, for the most part. You're paying a team to come to you so you can beat them fifty-five to three, pay them eight hundred thousand dollars, and get your win, and go on. And everybody's doing the same thing. It's like, no, I'd, I'd rather see Tennessee playing. Oregon or some random power five matchup, you know, that, that you wouldn't normally get like, that's what I want. But then I'm like, okay, well, how do these programs survive? Cause that is what funds them funds a lot of their athletic departments. And I don't know. And I don't, I don't even really want to venture a, a guess necessarily of exactly how that will shake out. But I think there's, there's going to be a seismic shift that because it's, it's going to be, an opportunistic move from these power five schools where they're going to be like, here's our chance to, to make this move that we've been wanting to make. Cause already, I mean, the power five is trying to throw its weight around. I mean, it does all the time mm-hmm. where they just, <laughs> you know, like the, the NCAA doesn't want to pass these NIL rules. And so the power five uh, coaches or whoever it was wrote a letter to Congress and they were like, mm, Hey Congress, can you handle this actually? Like, the Power Five is trying to, you know, kind of, like I said, throw their weight around. And I think this is going to give them the perfect opportunity to kick the door in. Mm-hmm. And I don't know exactly how that will play out, what exactly it means. But I think there is going to be something there. I I really do actually hope, as much as snoozer games do kind of annoy me, especially for anybody, I don't do this anymore, but for anybody that covers the team, dude, those snoozer games oh, are yeah. such a pain in the butt. Where you just go and you're like, okay, we beat East Tennessee State by 50, and I gotta go spend seven hours at the stadium. Yeah, Yeah, like people don't read the stories about it, and (laughs) it's a giant pain. Uh, But it is. It's exactly what you said. It is good for those schools. Does this end up in a ton of football programs just closing the door and just being like, well, we're just not gonna have football anymore. We'll have basketball. We'll have track. We'll have all this other stuff, but football. We just can't. We just can't do it. Well, the problem is that 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 those that money helps fund those other sports. I mean, that's part of it. That's all. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, 
I don't know. It, it's tough. It's tough. I mean, I, I kind of want, you know, if you play all these Power 5 games, I feel like, do you get into some sort of like revenue sharing model where you can, like I said, help subsidize some of these programs? Because there is, you're going to make more money off of Alabama and Ohio State playing a regular season game than you are off Alabama and, you know, Georgia State or whoever. I mean, there's money to be made there. There's more money for everybody to be made there. And and there would have to be a huge revenue sharing model that worked for everybody. There'd be have to be a lot of people sign off on it. I mean, I think it could work, but it gets kind of messy there. And now you have another wrench. Where, and I don't want to go into all the specifics about this because it gets very political very quickly. Um, but the players of the Pac-12... Uh, wrote a letter to the conference that was basically a list of demands that said, you do this or we don't play. And some of the demands, like I said, it gets political. It's about you know racial equality and some different things like that. And that's that's a whole other thing that you can listen to some other podcast to hear about. But uh, some of the things that they said was uh, revenue, a pay cuts for the coaches and administrators, and then giving the players a cut of the revenue. And like, that's a conversation that was already coming. It was coming down the tracks already with the NIL, the name, name image likeness, if you don't know what, uh, you know, basically players being able to make money off of like jersey sales. Um, but there, that conversation was already happening. And then this conversation about revenue sharing to the players has been coming down the tracks. I mean, that train is barreling down. It just hadn't gotten here yet. And so this is going to kickstart that to whatever extent. I don't know, but I, yeah, so like I saw a, a tough time to have that conversation is the it revenue is. right now is exactly not what it usually is. And, and I saw, I saw a, a really, what I thought was a pretty measured tweet from a player in the pack 12. Uh, I think it was a kid, the place for Washington. And he, he kind of said, he was like, some of these demands are, are unreasonable, especially given what is currently happening. Like, revenues aren't going to be what they are and like administrators and coaches got to eat and pay their mortgage. You know, he's, he didn't say it like that, but he was like, money's going to be tight. And yeah. I understand that. But then he also said, I, I do think we, as his point was like, we as players need to realize our power that we wield. Yeah. Um, and I just thought it was like a pretty good measured response. Um, well, he's right. And he, yes, have power. I, he, I think he was exactly right. But they, at the same time, you also have to understand how contracts work and you can't, just demand pay cuts. Yes. And so I like, that's, that's one to me. When I looked at that, I was like, <laughs> coaches aren't taking pay cuts, man. No, you, you may get in, in the future at some point when all of this shakes all the way out in a couple of years, five years, whatever it ends up being. If it does, um, I think revenue sharing could absolutely be a thing or you go scholarships are smaller. We'll pay you. X amount to come play football here, whatever it ends up being, or like you get a scholarship, but you have to pay your own housing, but we'll pay you. And that's how you can pay for your housing. I, I don't know. I've seen multiple things get, uh, get thrown out there. I, I even saw, I saw a tweet today that I thought was really interesting. Um, let, let me find it. I don't want to misrepresent exactly what it said. I, uh, it was, so the, this reporter said, I had a power five athletic director tell me last year that if they just paid all football and basketball players $50,000 a year each, 
and then had them all pay for everything on their own, including tuition, tutoring, meals, housing, etc. Schools would save money by doing that. <laughs> so that's like pretty fascinating where you there's there's some conversations to be had. I'll put it put it that way. Like there's a lot of interesting points to be made. And it's a huge, huge conversation that I could talk about for hours and hours and hours and hours. You know, I have major opinions on all of that. And well, we don't need to else. do that here probably, but. Like you said, this will kickstart it and exactly. force these conversations to actually be heard where they just kind of got pushed to the back burner before. It's it's coming, as I already said, it's coming and, it, you know, the train is arriving at the station. And the, the incident. And I don't know what's trying to delay it as much <laughs> yeah. as possible. That's their That's their play. The NCAA is, is standing on the tracks trying to stop a train. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, it's not going to stop. No. <laughs> um, and so that's, there's so many conversations to be had around all of that. It's a huge topic that you could break down each individual tendril of it and talk about it and have it, have it, have his own podcast episode. Um, and that's going to be really interesting to see how it shakes out. And I think we can talk about that more in the coming weeks, but that is happening. And on top of that, the main conversation is who is Tennessee going to play in this 10 game schedule? <laughs> so that's who is any, who is everybody going to play? Cause there's my immediate response was like, Oh boy, we're going to start the season with Florida. But then there was a lot of talk of like, well, there may be a complete reshuffling. Yeah. I think that kind of sounds like the way it's going to go. And I, I think that is because there, there's a lot of thought behind at least some of the speculation that I've heard is some things like canceling the bowl season to give um, canceling the bowl season, except for the college football playoff um, and giving teams extra weeks after the season to play makeup games that they missed for COVID reasons. Well, have you things like that? The bowl season played in June floated and it's like, sure. how, how does that, work i mean how many seniors are going to come back to play that game borderline yeah, draft like picks, or even even seniors that aren't going to the nfl they're doing their own thing or they're gonna take their time to come back to practice for that i mean a lot of times those guys are gone um i don't know how that would work i mean who knows i mean it's all up in the air but i, I mean they could still start with florida you would hope that they don't, but just that would be pretty daunting. I mean, you'd rather start with like, the, you know, Missouri or South Carolina yeah. or something. But so Tennessee already, you have all of your East games, but then on top of that, you had Arkansas and Alabama. Yeah, at Arkansas, cross. and you host Alabama. And so, if you, if you can assume all of that stays the same which that may not end up being the case. It may get completely reshuffled. Who knows? But let's assume that all of that stays the same. Now there are two slots open uh, last year um, as the cross-conference game. Tennessee played Alabama as usual, but then also played Mississippi State. So you say, all right, Mississippi State's out of that equation. Then who who does that leave? Who has gotten bandied about most prominently is Ole Miss and LSU. I would love both of those. Uh, and specifically going to Death Valley, then having Ole Miss come to Tennessee. I want to see Lane Kiffin come back to Neyland Stadium, and I think Ole Miss is going to stink out loud next year. Uh, or next year, it's the season starts in like a, a month or whatever. But uh, 
or was supposed to. And but I I would love I would love that. I wish that would happen. Um, I love a game in in Death Valley, especially next year. LSU is going to kind of be in reset mode. Not sure exactly what they're going to be. I'm sure they'll still be good. Um, yeah, that be would be an interesting. That would be an interesting game to start the season with because if you're going to play LSU, playing them the first game, yeah, new, new defensive coordinator. Uh, you're moving to well, no, they'll have Miles Brennan. He's, he's oh, that's true, that's yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah, 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 but still, he's never started. Like I said, new defensive coordinator. Half, I mean, fourteen players or something went to the NFL draft from that team. Um, so they a lot of fresh faces there. Joe Brady's gone, the wonder kid there that kind of made the offense work. That would be an interesting time to play them. If you have to play them, do it early before they kind of figure things out. Um, Yeah, that wouldn't be too bad. And we've seen Ed Ogeron. I mean, he might have – I mean, yeah, they won it all last year and and dominated with with that lineup, but he's had some missteps before. So, uh, you know, I would have – it could be winnable. Yeah, who who knows? I mean (laughs) – you got to think like Pruitt's first year, we went to Auburn and I chalked that up as like, not only is that a loss, that's going to be a loss by 20. Then he ended up winning. So, you know, who knows? Ultimately, um, maybe Jared Garantano does actually come in and is a revelation. Maybe Harrison Bailey's a revelation. Like who knows what could happen. Um, That's another conversation that could be had there too, is Harrison Bailey actually gets some time now to make a play for that starting job. Not that I think he's going to win it, but you've got a whole extra month just about to kind of, get in there and make something happen. It's the whole setup to this season is going to be a sight to behold. If, if it ultimately does end up happening, knock on wood, please, 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 Lord, let it happen. Uh, but, uh, I mean, just the whole thing, just the situation of students coming back to campus. What does that cause? Do the players get it? What does that mean for the season going forward? Yada, yada, yada. But on, on top of that, Tennessee has some really intriguing storylines. Yeah. Leading up to this season, <laughs> you know, like is Jarek Garantano going to be the guy? Will they throw a freshman into the fire? Cause that, that does scare me. I mean, a true freshman playing sec ball almost never works out unless you're Drake, Jake from somebody like that, where it just, yeah. And he doesn't, you wouldn't get that little game against UNC Charlotte to kind of yeah, you don't find your bearings. Yeah. Oh, and if it, oh my gosh, if you started the season at death Valley, like, <laughs> Lordy, or so, or against Florida, I think. I mean, I feel pretty confident that Ole Miss is going to be one of the matchups. And then in my mind, I had kind of broken it down into two groups: like Ole Miss, Mississippi State. Like you said, they played Mississippi State last year, so they're probably not playing them again. So, so it feels like Ole Miss. And then you got A and M, Auburn, LSU. They played Auburn two years ago. Played LSU twenty seventeen, A and M twenty sixteen. Would you rather them play at A&M next year or at LSU? What do you feel more comfortable with there? Hmm. Neither of those <laughs> is good. No. In, in terms of win- winnability, they're both like I would love to go to Texas A&M, go to Death Valley. Um, and, you know, the the conversation right now is like 50% capacity, 30% capacity, you know, like some – there, there are going to be fans there to whatever extent as of right now, this moment. Who knows if that actually comes to fruition. But um, I would love either of those. I mean, I guess Texas A&M just because they're just not. 
I mean, you, you get yeah. it's a team coming yeah. off a national championship compared to a team that just went eight and four. So like, you know, or nine and four, I guess. Yeah, I've never been completely sold on Jimbo myself. I mean, he's no. Let, I mean, can, can we say this? Because I honestly, until I saw this, I, and I may have mentioned it on this podcast before, I don't totally remember. But until I saw this after the season, I didn't know it. I was like, what? Tennessee had a better SEC record than Texas A&M last year. Oh, yeah. There was a conversation to be had that that uh, Tennessee was Alabama's best win last year. Yeah. T- Tennessee went 5-3 and three in conference, gave Alabama a, a good game. Texas A&M went 4-4. Four and four. Yeah, <laughs> those are the – I mean, because they lost to LSU and Auburn, so that was their next two wins. I mean, yeah, Tennessee might have been their yeah. best win. I mean, it – so, yeah, Texas A&M for, for sure – but neither one is just like, yeah, that's we definitely have the best chance to win. Ole Miss to me, yeah, that's almost a given. Worst it case scenario, worst case scenario is you don't get Ole Miss on the schedule, and you play A and M and LSU or Auburn and LSU or something like that. I mean, oh. that is disaster. I mean, then you're looking at five and five possibly. Yeah, and I don't want to see that. Now it suck and. But at the same time, if it's just conference games, does five and five like get you into a bowl game? I, and that's a whole thing that's gonna. Oh yeah, who knows? Out. Yeah, if if bowl games happen, as we've already been discussing, it's, it's gonna be impossible to really judge Pruitt. I mean, five, if you have a schedule like that where you're playing A and M and LSU, yeah, five and five is when you got Florida, Georgia, and Alabama too. I mean, yeah, that five and five is okay. And I just wonder. This is me being very optimistic. But I, I really do think, even not being optimistic, I think this will affect the basketball season. If we get this vaccine and like people start to feel more comfortable with everything, per se, say the vaccine comes in like November, that would be the very tail end of the football season. You're kind of going out the door at that point. But like I said, I think this would affect the basketball season, which starts in November. And people start feeling differently, but you're in the middle of a season. Like we, we get to maybe March of next year. Everybody's vaccinated at that point. I have no idea. That may not happen. It probably won't happen. We'll see. But per se, it is. It does happen. And people are comfortable with going out again. Are we like March Madness with no fans still? Like what do we? When does it turn the corner? Yeah. Do we restructure in the middle of the season even? I don't think that will affect football. I think football. Whatever yeah. ends up happening, it's going to be seen through to the end. I just the I think, timeline doesn't work I think out. But basketball is, pr- I mean, I kind of feel like they'll go conference only to most of those. Yes, I do too. I I absolutely think that's what's going to happen. Um, it's I mean, with basketball, it's I think that's an easier sport to coordinate. It's almost like that's almost a no brainer to me where it just like cut it down, make it a 20 game schedule yeah. or something like that. And then it's all conference like, uh, but that's, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But I, I, I do just, just wonder as our feelings continue to evolve, maybe we have like a Sweden situation here and like a second wave doesn't come or it peters out. Like I said, it's me being optimistic, but in terms of when we're talking about like bowl season or things like that, we got the basketball being indoors, football outdoors. Does that factor into it as well? Yeah, I, I don't know. There's, 
you could make a thousand predictions and everybody's predictions about everything involving this stupid pandemic. It's all been wrong. Everybody's no, been wrong in, on all sides. It just, who knows? Yeah, back in March, I didn't think we would be talking about college football season games being canceled. And, and, and I thought for a long time that Tennessee did not need to be playing Oklahoma. Never did I think that would actually be the case. <laughs> that that game would actually get canceled. <laughs> you know, I mean, re- kind of- realistically, I definitely at the beginning, I was like, surely this will be over. But yeah, like July, August, right? Right? <laughs> no. <laughs> Here we are. Um, and it just that's a fact of the situation that we're living in. But I I think it will be interesting to see if these if these uh vaccine timelines are met as they're currently projecting. I mean, they are projecting like November. Yeah, there's several November, in December. Stage three, right? Yeah. And Oxford specifically that one. I I read a thing about uh the the Oxford yeah. vaccine. There's a company in India that is like we're we're going to be prepared to distribute in October. I was like, October? Like, that's that would be a miracle of science. Let's just start there. Like, if you could actually do that, that would be unbelievable. Obviously, it would be a huge benefit to the world. And I know a lot of people, you don't want to get the vaccine. I get oh. it. I, I understand the arguments. Don't hate me. I'm just saying, whether you want to get the vaccine or not, getting a vaccine, if it works out at that point, that's a miracle of science. The world can get back to normal. I just want to get back to normal. That's it. I just, whatever that takes. And I'm not going to say whether I'm getting the vaccine or not or how I feel about that. But like, I just want to live my life again. That's it. And so yeah, I, ultimately, however you feel about vaccines, that is the key. Yeah, it is. Like, that's that's what everybody, the people who are like, let's lock down forever, they say, let's lock down till we have a vaccine. So you could get those people off your back, even. Just, it's, let's get there. And I, man, I hope that our perceptions change by that that point. That would be amazing. But, you know, we'll... <laughs> We shall see, I guess. Uh, I'll I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. I mean, our perception hasn't really changed a whole... I mean, it's changed some in the past five, four months, but it's still very much a positive test is a case. And yeah, the I still have an issue with sickness versus positive tests. Like, there's a difference there, but it's kind of viewed the same at this point, and... It is. It would almost be useful, and I think they are tracking this to some extent. If they reported it as asymptomatic cases and symptomatic cases, I I don't know if that's even that's probably not even possible. But like that, I think that would make people feel better to some extent to be like, oh, there's this many people that. Well, it's impossible to really know though to some extent because you could be asymptomatic and have symptoms from something else. Yeah, that's true. You know, I mean, it's it's weird. And yeah, that's because, yeah, the reporting of that would be extremely difficult. Like if you had somebody who was already really sick with, you know, like liver disease or something. Oh, they have coronavirus. Well, technically they have they have life threatening symptoms, but they're from something else. I well, I digress. But uh, there's it's a huge conversation. It's a huge thing. Who knows what's going to happen? But that's we had to at least break it down. SEC is trying to have football. At the very least, they have a plan. 
I feel better about, I, I never thought I'd say this, but I feel better about college football than I did before, like with MLB, because baseball has never had any plan. They had no plan at all. And the SEC is kind of coming up with their plan, what they plan to do. It's a month out. Baseball kind of threw theirs together, and it's been a disaster so far. Like the, all those questions remain about the college students and stuff, but I feel like the SEC has a plan. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. I don't know. But I'm trying to remain positive that it's going to happen. I am optimistic that the season's going to happen, whereas I've gone through some periods where I was like, oh, man, college football's going to get canceled, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I, As of right now, I don't think it's going to get canceled. But it's a it's a day to day situation. By tomorrow morning, I might feel differently. I don't. Well, know. see, the thing with college football and sports in general, especially outdoor sports, it's not the games itself that I think is the risk. It's the weeks leading up to. It's the activity leading up to it. It's the bus ride to the stadium. It's the locker room interactions. It's all of that that I feels the biggest risk to some of these teams. Yeah, and maybe. Maybe they can get buy-in. Maybe there are rules that they can make where they just say, look, you know, if you want to play, you got to do this. That's it. Yeah. If you it's don't, the weight you room. Do it's it, like the playing. weight room. Like you can't be on top of each other in the weight room or it's going to. Yeah. Transmit. Well, and it was, it was interesting. Just some, <laughs> some of the things that have transpired from some of these players opting out. Like you had, um, you had a player at Virginia Tech who he said that his, it was his mother or something was very high risk. And he was like, I just, I want to see my mom. And I just, you know, I, so I'm not going to play. And he's opting out of the season. But then these players that are opting out, like you can't be around anymore. You got to go away. You can't opt out and like work out with the team still. Yeah. I, I read yeah. that today. And so they're having this problem with these players where they're like, well, what am I supposed to do? Well, you kind of you made that decision, and it may be the right decision for for you. And hey, you they're letting they're letting them keep their scholarship, but they're like you can't like it's one or the other. You can't. That's what you're opting out of. I mean, the game is such a small part of the whole experience. The yeah, game the is three hours on is, a Saturday. That's exactly. Not, the dangerous yeah. stuff is everything else. Right. I mean, that's the whole week leading up to it. It it, it it's the Sunday through Friday part that's dangerous more than anything. Well, and then, and then you have another cog in it, which I, I don't know how big of a deal this will actually be or if you saw this, but they some of the teams got these COVID helmets that have like a shield in them mm-hmm. that goes all the way down past their mouth. And I saw it was an LSU player, I think, yeah, had a Snapchat and the guy was like, he was like, man, it's like breathing in a plastic bag. And so that's encouraging. <laughs> Like we're trying to have these measures where guys aren't like spitting on each other or whatever. And apparently it's like breathing in a plastic bag. So <laughs> there you go. Would you either suffocate or <laughs> Yeah. Suffocate yeah. in your helmet or suffocate. Or maybe get an asymptomatic disease. Yeah. Well that's and that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. But... <laughs> Better but, not go down that road. Yeah, there's there's so many different facets to, to all of that that we could keep going down, but we'll, uh, in any, any parting thoughts or anything else that you wanted to touch on before we, there's a little bit of recruiting news, thankfully a little bit of positive recruiting news for the balls that we'll end up on, but anything else with, uh, our latest developments? 
No, I just I mean I just hope there's no major setbacks here in the next couple of weeks. I mean there's still what six eight weeks before the season is supposed to start. There's a lot of negative things that can happen between now and then. There's a lot of positive that can happen too, but hopefully we kind of stay on this path. Ten conference games. It's not the season everybody envisioned or wanted, but hey, something's better than nothing. Yes, please. If you're on these teams, don't go to parties. Don't don't be like Lou Williams and go to the strip club. I hope they see Major League Baseball, where Major League Baseball is kind of on the verge of like, hey, if you don't get it together, the season's being canceled, and you're seeing these baseball players trying to reach out to each other, like, guys, we got to be serious about this. Yeah, maybe maybe you're not going to get sick. Maybe you're not worried about it, but you're being tested every other day. They're going to know if you test positive. It's almost like a drug test. Like, it really do is what you're supposed to do. You know, like don't yeah. because it doesn't matter if you're if you feel safe or not, or if you feel at risk or not. You're putting if you test positive, you're you're out. Like you can't play, and maybe your whole team can't play. As we've seen several instances. Mm-hmm. So hopefully college football players kind of see what's going on there and, and kind of take that same mindset of let's not mess this up for everybody. I hope so, and I'm I'm sure, I'm certain that the coaches are probably majorly in their ear saying, if you do this, you're not playing football. And and he, I mean, you could basically say, it's not my choice. Yeah. If you test, if you got the virus, I can't let you play. Right. So I like that's hopefully that can be a motivating factor. Well, it's not even up to the coach at that point. They're not the one handle, handling the test. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's exactly. Yeah. It's it's out of his hands. If you come up positive, sorry. Yep. There's there's really nothing that can be done, I don't think, besides like what I said, like hiding cases, and hopefully that doesn't happen. Let's, let's think uh, the, the best, although it is SEC football. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, it just means more. Yeah, do what you got to do to win, but... Uh, there's there's that much, and obviously we will continue discussing that as the weeks move along into the season. But uh, Tennessee, it was it was nice this week, a little respite from just this constant flow of will the season happen, will it not happen. Uh, Tennessee got a commitment from a four-star cornerback from Pensacola, Florida, Demarius McGee, the number eight cornerback in America, according to 247 Sports. That's pretty pretty nice pickup. What what can you tell us about uh, Demarius McGee, Zach? Well, like his his twenty four sports composite rating, he's only a three star. So I guess Rivals has him a little lower, which is the rating I first noticed. So I didn't really think much about him when they picked him up, and then I started kind of looking into who he was. He's tall, six one. He runs track. He's fast. And then I saw the quote from a 24-7 sports recruiting director, Steve Wiltfong, who said, this kid is arguably the best prospect in Tennessee's class, in his opinion. And that's like, okay. Wow. I mean, this is kind of the type of player that Jeremy Pruitt turns into an NFL player. Is Yeah. And that's the kind of player that you got to have in the SEC. you got to have a shutdown corner that creates havoc, that, you know, gets those wide receivers off the line shuts the other team's best wide receiver down. He seems to be that type of player. You know what I've wondered with this class? Is it is it nice to be in this class, or is it going to be a huge setback? That's what I've wondered with, with 2021, because you have a lot of high schools, you know, especially in some of these northeast, out west, 
high schools aren't going to be able to play. But to some of these kids, like they already are down on tape, they look good. Mm. And it's those bubble know. kids, man. Those kids that are like three stars that uh, maybe they're better than three star. Maybe they have a good senior season. They get elevated to four star. They put something good on tape and they end up getting that scholarship. I mean, that happens a lot. And those kids yeah. aren't going to get picked up and get the opportunity that they would have. But I on the other hand, maybe you've got a four star dude that doesn't perform well as a senior. Mm hmm. That's what I was going to say. The, the flip side of that is that you get, have a guy that's already a four-star. He's going to have a, a crap senior season and probably you know, may not want to be picked up by the school that's recruiting him, and, and the school's going to end up getting a dud. <laughs> so It's challenging I, for coaches, but a lot of these coaches just go off athleticism. They just want athletes. They'll, yeah. you know. So, and, and you can tell from – you can tell if a kid's athletic or not. Um I don't know. It, it'll be challenging, and you'll probably see more misses than normal. I imagine because of this recruiting class, a lot of players not playing. But I, I think the the college experience for the the class of twenty twenty one through their four years, it will probably be tumultuous to some extent. I, as of right now, I'm assuming we will be back to normal next year with full stadiums and regular football, but. As we've already discussed, I think there will be a lot of changes happening in college football throughout the careers of these guys where, you know, maybe the Power Five does choose to walk away from the NCAA. Maybe these other things change. It may be good. It may be good changes uh, for these kids. But I think there's going to be a lot of shifting tectonic plates, you know, under the feet of these kids where, you know, in, in years past, <laughs> there, there hasn't been. Um and so I, I, hopefully it turns out good. Hopefully all of the changes are positive for these players. But when the NCAA is involved, you know, fat chance that's going to be the case. But, you know, we'll, we'll just have to see how it unfolds, I guess. Yeah, I imagine we'll probably see some changes for this recruiting cycle for signing day. I imagine early signing period, signing day gets pushed back to some extent. But this could be the catalyst for the one-time transfer finally getting through because Jeez. you got kids. I mean, who knows when they'll even be able to take official visits. That, I mean, there's been rumors and rumblings that they might not, through the fall at all, be able to take official visits. It so some of these to. kids might never get on campus to see a game at the stadium that they want to play at. And that's a big deal for these kids. I mean, you want to see where you're going to play. And maybe the NCAA's response is to finally let them transfer one time with immediate eligibility, which was a little like it was going to happen this year before all the coronavirus stuff hit. Maybe that finally gets pushed through. Maybe. Hopefully. Honestly. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting. It's it's going to be an interesting probably four or five years. Oh, yeah. Coming Ske- up here. Between scheduling – recruits I'm, i mean there's a lot of change in the next as, few years as somebody who i for anyone who listens to this podcast and listened to me back with swain and back with orange and white report and everything that i did previously you'll know that i am adamant about players being given their fair share for what they do they work in an industry they work in an industry that produces billions of dollars in revenue. 
and they don't see diddly squat of that. And you'll, like I said, if you listen to me before, you know that I am adamant, adamant, adamant about I'm on that campaign. Uh, and it kind of, it made my like heart skip a beat where seeing these, these players be like, we're demanding that these things change. And I'm like, oh boy, it's about to get interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I am, I'm, I'm excited at the same time. I am, who knows exactly how that's going to play out. And I think it could, it's going to get messy. I, I think that's, that's almost without a doubt going to be the case. But these changes needed to come, and hopefully, this this pushes them in that direction. So there's there's that. Uh, I think that's a show. We're coming up on an hour. Um, any any parting thoughts for the good folks at home? Not really. Uh, that should about do it. Uh, hopefully, like I said, we don't have any bad news come through this week. I've starting. I don't know. This 10-game schedule thing just really made me feel optimistic that football is going to happen just because they finally said this is what we want to do. And, and hopefully we kind of continue on this path, get, get, get some things going here, and finally get to actually talk about what's happening on the football field instead of what we think is going to be played or not played. That's all I want. Let's get to, like, fall camp. Can yes. We? I want to talk about what who Tennessee's running back is going to be. Who the quarterback's going to be? I want to see what, what always, at least in the last few years, as somebody who covered the team, what always did huge numbers for us was clips of backup quarterbacks throwing the ball. Because <laughs> <laughs> the backup quarterback's the best player on the team, as all you know, as everyone knows. Yes, um, uh, we need Kasim Hill from Maryland here throwing the ball, so we can get the fifth string quarterback I, here. And, in the game. I want to Tennessee see, has like 15 quarterbacks in that room, so yes, plenty of options. I want to see some video of those guys throwing some passes, dropping back. See what we're working with. Let's get there and I I may finally I'll get in in preseason college football mode. I'll be hyped. I'll be ready to go at that point. Speaking of quarterbacks, we've kind of went through the whole summer and not had any JT Shrout, Brian Maurer transfer news, which is shocking to me. And Crazy. it's probably because of COVID. That's probably been the reason nothing's happened there. Why would you transfer right now? But yeah, I thought for sure that one of those dudes would be gone by now. I definitely felt the same. The room, the quarterback room is packed. Only one of them can play. So I, uh, that's what I want to get to. That's when I will be the most like gung ho. Let's get on to football season is when I can see. I want to see the rubber meet the road. Let's get to let's get to fall practice and hopefully we can here in the next few weeks. But that's it. I'm Charlie Burris. That's Zach Reagan at Charlie underscore Burris on Twitter at uh, Z at Zach TNT. Sorry, uh, on Twitter at A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville dot com and then the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed on iTunes and Spotify. Go there, rate, subscribe, review, listen, download everything that you do. And uh, I think that's it. Thanks for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you all next week. See you guys later.